0: to say that the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer.
1: We're here to pump you up with wisdom.
0: That's right. In many ways, we're a spiritual Hans and or Franz. Absolutely. And if you did not watch Saturday Night Live in the 80s, I did not just say something that was unnecessarily racist towards Germans. (laughs) That was the name of two characters who were... Themselves fairly racist towards Germans, but that's them doing it <laughs> and skit. me referencing it. And now that I feel thrilled, I did a pretty good job digging myself out of that hole. I can introduce fellow co-host Lee Younger. And here I quote a,
2: a, a moment from Say That from maybe nine and a half years ago where Jed said, if you want to blast your spiritual quads, that's right. Tune in to Say That. That's
0: right. That's right. A real five by five for your spiritual quads here on Say That. And we do, in fact, have some of your fantastic questions to get into here in the episode. But first, we must start with a holiday season emergency. Oh, oh my. That's right. We are, this episode is going to drop, as they say, the very end of November here, meaning we are officially in the holiday season, gentlemen. Christmas right around the corner.
1: I'm feeling festive.
0: A wonderful and uh, relaxing and joyous time for, for our listeners. But we know that it comes with some anxieties as well. Mm. Uh, seeing family. Uh, seeing Maybe going back to your hometown. Seeing people you haven't seen. All these things. And we have uh, come across here on social media. Someone who's attempting to uh, work their way into that holiday anxiety space. With a business. That business is called... Rent a Christian boyfriend. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to read from an image that I assume Jed found on Facebook. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that's on Facebook. Rent a Christian boyfriend for all family gatherings. 50% off all bookings before 1st December 2020. Package includes background story of how we met, matching outfits, offer to say a prayer at dinner, tell a few jokes. A bottle of non-alcoholic red wine. I believe that's called grape juice. It is. Yeah. So bring his own <clears throat> Welches and a firm handshake. Message today to avoid disappointment. And then, and we we won't dally on this part. There's a lot to get into here, but then they add in a parenthetical, baby daddy packages also available. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> I mentioned this to Jeff when he sent us this. I am so fascinated by the what do you how perfectly do you think you're going to thread that needle? Yeah. If I yeah. have a baby daddy, you're going to meet him for the first time at Christmas, but he's going to be so his haircut will be so geometric, his prayer so sanctified that you'll think I think we're fine with this actually. <laughs> no further questions. Look, here's, here's the thing. I am so from the South
2: that my initial question was, if you rent at the correct tier, will the Rent-A-Christian boyfriend um, do research on your dad's favorite uh, college football team so that oh. he can actually talk players, stats, history, and all that, like, you know, uh, slogans, everything? I mean, because that's an important part of the Thanksgiving gathering in the South. Man, that's that's part of the platinum plan right there. I mean, that is
1: that's just part of the platinum plan.
0: Absolutely. I think I think the the tier above that is you do the research, but he will pretend to be uh, a huge fan of your dad's favorite team's rival, who's not doing very well this season.
1: Ah, yeah. <laughs> so that he can be
0: the uh, the receiver of much good natured ribbing. Yeah about how it just yeah, yeah. wasn't your year this year. This package not available. If your dad is a fan of certain teams.
2: Yeah. I was going <laughs> to say, if you if your dad, if you were, if you were able to pull that off, like the dad would just be so completely fooled. Cause he'd be feeling so good about himself. I mean, if your dad is like a fan of the university of Georgia's football team and you just give your dad a reason to bark as a grown man all day long on Thanksgiving, because he got to rib the, the uh, Christian boyfriend you rented, man. I mean, he's not even going to think about the backstory of how y'all met, uh, what denomination of church this brother goes to, any of that stuff.
0: Yep. If you're, uh, your dad is a grown uh, Georgia Bulldogs fan, he uh, probably enjoys uh, spitting on University of Tennessee fans, I say from my own personal experience as a 13-year-old <laughs> at Tennessee Georgia <laughs> wow. games. So... Um, maybe it doesn't need to go that far, but it depends on how desperate you are. Wow. So we got a great baseline here. Joan. do we have any other ideas that we might add to the, uh, the platinum package for uh rent a Christian boyfriend for holiday family gatherings?
2: It's going to depend on your denomination. Like if your family's denomination of, you know, your, your family of origin, if you're Lutherans or something like that, he's going to have to have his Martin Luther information, you know. He's going to have to have that down pat, you know? Yeah. If, if, your, if your family of origin is, is Anglican or something like that, he's going to have to have something from the Book of Common Prayer ready to roll. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Also, um, if your family is particularly in the uh, Midwest uh, Lutheran or uh, Northeast Anglican, do not show up with non-alcoholic wine. That's right. <laughs> that is not going to the the deal. You. That's a Baptist move. <laughs> do not show up to some Wisconsin Lutheran gathering with non-alcoholic drink. Is there a
2: politics tier on this rental
0: service? Oh, Uh, I think there's, yeah. And again, is that total agreement with the dad or letting the dad win an argument? Mm.
1: Oh, goodness. Well, it depends on the dad, certainly.
0: (laughs) Dad gets to own the libs. Yeah. That's
1: right. (laughs) Well, I think one of the things that we need to add in, and this is tough. I've been thinking about how to how to structure this. Is we are crafting for one night the perfect boyfriend. Okay, that's that's what we're putting sure. together here. Sure. Right? Everybody's happy, but of course, the problem is this is not a long term thing because it is uh, you know a, a bit of the play acting.
0: So, well, it's not a long term thing until our second our second stage of this, in which we write the rom com where Renda boyfriend falls in love with a girl for real and the whole thing kicks off, but. Wow. The, the first stage of it is is not long-term.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, unless we're prepared to, you know, really go pretty hard with this, we're going to have to have a reason why the perfect boyfriend is not at the next gathering, right? But I think if we structure it right, um, I think we can have something where everyone's like, we need to give Cindy some space because since things, you know, Ended the way they did with Tim. Just everybody should be cool about Cindy for the next long while. Oh, Which, there you I go. Mean, that's kind of like the ultimate value package. So it feels like we almost need a team of script writers that can look at family dynamics and decide on the exact right reason for breakup. Where it's like, Cindy's the boss. She's been through a lot. Everybody's just going to shut up and just cheer Cindy on. And man, Tim seemed great. But you know what? Gosh. That's that's where we need to land. The question is, how do we get there?
2: Fantastic.
0: Now, again, a denomination and backstory specific, I think there's a really strong... Um, Tim was called to the mission field package.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that oh, could be good. That could be good. Yeah. So
0: we just, you know, just long distance, couldn't make it work. Whoa. What was us? Um, sure. Called to the priesthood. Absolutely. Planting seeds. Things yeah. are perfect. Yeah. But... Drop a little something here and there throughout dinner just to, just to lay some groundwork.
2: Yeah. But he did grow up a Presbyterian. Mm. Yeah. I like the idea also of like a sibling or a cousin at this Thanksgiving dinner who is trying to bust Tim by like bringing like really obscure VeggieTales references up to see how prepared Tim is to see if he, because they, they smell this whole scenario that they, they smell what's cooking, and so they they try to bring up something about, you know, Bob the tomato or Larry the cucumber just to see if Tim really knows what's up with the Christian world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that shows how perilous this is because now you may think, particularly if you're going to act like you were from the general area and ask, Oh, where'd you go to school? And you may say, Oh, we were, we were homeschooled. But then you're going to have to answer a lot of VeggieTales questions if you hit him with the way we were homeschooled. So you wouldn't know us.
2: So what's your favorite silly song with Larry, Tim? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Name the manatee, Tim.
1: (laughs) If that is your real name. Yeah. That's very good. That's very, very good.
0: Now here's one, another alternative I want to pitch. Now Jed makes a great point of, you know, there is the rent a perfect boyfriend. I think we could probably open this up to, you know, a uh, partner, girlfriend as well. But sure. let's be honest, we know where the societal pressure falls on this one. Um, so there is the the long-term play we do have to think about. I'd like to pitch another long-term play, which let's say you're in a relationship with a guy that you are crazy about, but you think your parents may not be all the way on board with. Okay. I'm pitching terrible Christian boyfriend. For the one Christmas dinner. So that by the time oh. Easter rolls around and you show up with real boyfriend, we're all kind wow. of relieved.
1: Oh, goodness. that Ooh. That's a market opportunity right there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think there's some opposite of what we're talking about with, like, you know, letting the dad win. I think there's find out the dad's favorite author and then read more books by him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Ooh. See, I, I'm I'm thinking of a marketing pitch that's like, it's like a silhouette of of Adam and Eve, the fall of man, kind of thing. The apple, but the company is called the Fall Guy. Oh, I like and that. That's oh, what you're that's talking nice. about. This is the guy that comes in and takes the fall, so that next Thanksgiving, you can unveil this relationship. You don't think any anybody's going to be on board with? That is good.
0: Now, first blush, you might think, well, you know, just come in and be really rude and. Um, you know, not you know, wipe wipe the wipe your mouth with the tablecloth and insult grandma's mashed potatoes. But here's the thing, I don't think you can go that far because then when real boyfriend shows up that we don't like either, it's well, Sarah really has a problem with the type of guy <laughs> she's dating. Uh, right, it has to be exactly what mom and dad think they want, but mm-hmm. so annoying they don't want to spend time with him.
2: Oh, dude, that's amazing! Yes, incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, the, in the in the, uh, the graphic for Perfect Christian Boyfriend, it's volunteer to say the opening prayer. This one, somebody else, let's be honest, we're in this situation, probably dad, says the opening prayer. Not Perfect Boyfriend critiques the theology of it. Ooh.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. they start
2: getting into a hermeneutical debate about the, about the saying of grace. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: really, really good. Is it even scripturally accurate to say a communal prayer? Because my Bible says you're supposed to pray in your closet, Dad. Yeah. I have an es- eschatological problem with the third line of that prayer. Yeah.
2: you know, Kara's dad.
0: <laughs> I've got systematic theology in the car. I always carry it with me. I'm going to grab that, and we'll come in. We'll dig in. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Oh, oh you guys good. are watching watching sports because Christmas does fall on a Sunday this year. And I don't, I don't know that that's appropriate.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, and and we can take this
1: with the wine. He can critique in either direction, right? If they're serving a grape juice, he can, he can critique and, and talk about, you know, how uh, wine gladdens the heart and, you know, uh, you know, Jesus turned water into wine and blah, 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 blah. Or vice versa. So no matter what you serve, you're wrong. That We can absolutely do this.
0: Well, we can definitely go with the, um, you know, if you serve the grape juice, just isn't imitating sin basically the same as committing a sin.
1: Oh, dang. That's good. That's really, really good. Fantastic.
0: Just water for me, thanks.
2: (laughs) 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 The problem with this is every like some every example that i think of in in my mind that i want to add to the conversation is so close to what an actual evangelical leader has like tweeted or said that i just keep getting sad
0: <laughs> yeah well i think that makes another good point in the the idea of you know you're giving mom and dad what they think they want but they you could probably just go through some evangelical leaders tweets cuz here's the thing people may like that they tweet that if someone carried on that way at dinner, everyone would be really annoyed and want them to leave.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, I was encouraged at one point to read this to read this book and and I was like, I'll I'll just try a chapter of it. Let's see what happens. And within 3 pages, I was being like massively guilt-shamed for caring about March Madness, which to be fair, I don't even really watch college basketball. Don't, you know, I don't have a problem with anybody who does. It's just never been my thing but i never wanted to watch college basketball more than on that page because somebody's like why don't you want to worship jesus all you really care about is march madness <laughs> and it's like it's like hey hey matt relax yeah yeah
0: maybe yeah. you should focus maybe if you were watching march madness instead of sending instagram dms you would have less problems in your life <laughs> oh <laughs> well so going
1: with, you know, the just water for me thing, like, you know, Christmas on a Sunday and, and you gonna be watching sports and say, oh, yeah, Jim, come on in here and, and join us. I, I think it's beautiful to be like, you know, I'm in a place in my own walk right now where I recognize that I personally had begun to make an idol of sports. Now, I, I don't I don't want to put that on anyone yeah. else. if You guys, if you're in a place <laughs> where you feel like you're able to watch sports and it's it's good for you, that's that's great. I'm happy for for me just for me, not for anyone else, but just for me, I realized, you know what, I'm I'm more passionate about my team than I am about the Lord, and I just, you know, when, when Sunday's coming, am I looking forward to worship, or am I looking forward to the game? And again, I'm not putting this on anybody else. Tim, I'm not putting this on you. I don't want you to think that I'm thinking this about you or saying this about you, but for me, I was like, there's an enjoyment deficit here. I'm not enjoying the things of God the way that I enjoy the things of this world. <laughs> Part of the question is how long can you go on this? Can you fit a full wow. sermon into your disclaimer of why you won't be Great. joining them in the living room to watch the game?
0: <laughs> That's brilliant. I think, you know, there's also like, Oh, come see you know, Oh, your decorations are lovely. Is that a Christmas tree? You know, that that is a, a, Tradition taken from pagan Germanic nature worship, right? I don't. hes brought that into your house. I am. Um, <laughs> Tim Keller did a great tweet thread about the dangers of secularism. <laughs> I think we'll all agree that a Christmas tree, though it be labeled Christmas, is definitely a secular decoration. That's really the kind of a, a dangerous kind of thing. Just, just, and to, just, just food for thought. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not judging. Just saying. Sure, sure. That's absolutely. necessarily the kind of thing you want to invite into your home and base sure. your your worship around. Yeah.
2: Yeah. While everyone's eating dinner, you just go on a whole tear about Santa Claus and. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, one of my favorite things about
1: the actual Saint Nicholas uh, is, of course, that he was the kind of person who cared so much about um, firmness of belief that he was willing to strike to physically strike heretics. And I, I think that really gives us a lot to think about. This holiday season, are are we prepared to come to blows for the sake of our beliefs? Yeah, something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Anyway, maybe you should.
0: Oh, you're you're (laughs) you're you're a kind of family that exchange exchanges gifts on Christmas Eve. I I think that's great. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I I did bring someone for everyone. Each of you gets. uh, Now this is just a picture of me donating something. (laughs) But just to, to let you know that it happens. Oh, you guys you 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 guys give things of monetary value well that's because it feels like you know our resources are really we're just stewards yeah but if you yeah you know a, a remote control tr- truck for your five-year-old that's i mean that's probably he's probably gonna enjoy that more than someone would enjoy you know a coat <laughs> <laughs> wow and that's then when good. darren comes for easter uh lunch like, he's just a normal guy. Yeah, he's just kind of normal. They're like, well, yeah, that seems that seems fine. Daryl, what's your favorite <laughs> Tim Keller book? I don't know who that is. Oh, <laughs> I like that about you, Daryl.
2: For the person that's going over the top, is there ever a point where like, you don't know if it's going really well, so in the middle of dessert, you just break out speaking in tongues? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go. You try to heal Aunt Mildred's stigmatism? <laughs> so you're putting on her glasses be like, you know, the the word says if you have enough faith, healing will be given to you, Aunt Mildred. Have you thought about why you're being struck with this thorn of the flesh?
2: <laughs> Do you have a secret sin that you'd like to share with with the group?
1: I'd like us to go around the table and we'll go through the alphabet together and each, each share something that we're repentant of. For each letter. (laughs) Jim, what are you repenting of? Something that begins with A.
0: (laughs) Oh, Jim, it's come back around to you on P. That's um, (laughs) probably a few you can think of, huh? Huh, Jim? (laughs) Wow. Then then on you, the the young lady who has hired this uh, not-so-perfect Christian boyfriend, as soon as, you know, he leaves, he gets in the car, he drives away. You have to turn and this is your part. You got to sell it to your parents. Say, isn't it just so amazing that I met a guy who's everything you always wanted me to date? <laughs> mm.
1: <laughs> that is incredible.
0: I think in wow. a very rare um, order of things for happened in the emergency we may have started with something insane and landed on something also insane, but possibly actually helpful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's very yeah. good. So, yes, yeah, so if you would like to hire a local uh, non-union actor and have us script out the boyfriend your parents think they want for you, uh, you can you can drop us a line here and uh, prices are very, very unreasonable. <laughs> with well, that said, we're going to declare... A first of probably a few holiday emergencies off we move on to your fine questions that have come in here. If you hang out this all the way to the end, of guess some ways to get in touch with this, or you can scroll down in your episode description, click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, hello, I want to follow up on the relationship question from episode 142. That's what they wrote. I assume they mean episode five forty two, based on the I'm, rest of this question. Like, wow. But it's yeah, he, possible. And cut, again, man. Uh, just a note from your, your friend, your friendly host, of the sat podcast. You don't have to listen to anything before episode, like 300. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, how would you find episode
2: 142?
0: <laughs> that, I mean, it's definitely on Podbean. It might be in the feed. The feed goes back like wow. 400 episodes, but I, I assume Impressive. it's possible. They mean episode 542 from a few weeks ago, okay. uh, where someone wrote in about not feeling attracted to their spouse anymore. Ah, uh-huh. uh, they on to say, I feel as though my partner could have written that question. We've been married for three months, and they don't want to have as much sex as anymore, maybe once a week. We waited for marriage, so I didn't see that coming. As a spouse in such a situation, how can you support the partner that has lost interest? I'm discouraged, but I don't want to put pressure on them either. Thank you for your advice. We, as ever, always appreciate the follow-up questions. It's a little challenging when it's the follow-up questions on this particular subject, but that's fine. We appreciate it anyway. We are, as ever, happy to be a place that folks feel comfortable um, being open about these kind of things. Also, why no matter how you write it in, we always read each question anonymously because, you know, we want uh, you to be as honest as you can to uh, and we really appreciate that trust you put in us. So with that said, Jed, where would you start off here?
1: We're really glad that you wrote in and we are holding for you. We're praying for you. We're sorry for the tension that you clearly feel. Um, I think that there are some things you can do that that'll help. Uh, the main thing that we want is for you to have more peace. And, and I think that I think you have two separate problems. I think that you, at least for the moment, appear to have a mismatch in level of sexual appetite in your marriage. But you also are really concerned about it. And, and those are they're related problems, but they but they are two different problems. And I think both of them are, are wearing on you. And so I our goal is, is to get some things that'll help both with the practicalities of the situation, but will also help you to have more peace about your, your day to day we, we definitely want you to have both of those. So with that in mind, you know, as I was reading your question, like one of the equations that you have made is that your, your partner, uh, lacks interest or has lost interest. Maybe that's true, but it, just go with me for a second. I love ice cream. Like it's, it's delicious. I'm a fan. I've never met an ice cream. I didn't like, uh, I celebrate it. I generally want ice cream about once a month. It's mm. that's not a lack of interest at all. Trust me. I'm super interested in ice cream. It's just, I'm in the mood for ice cream about, about once a month. Um, that's just the, the level of appetite that I have for it. Uh, that that's neither right nor wrong. It's neither good nor bad. That's just, that's how I feel about ice cream and people have differing levels of appetites for all kinds of things. And for all kinds of reasons, um, I think one of the things that that could be problematic is if we were determined that there must be some really negative reason why your partner has a different level of sexual appetite than you do. Um, That mismatch is for sure something to talk about and negotiate and figure out, but it doesn't necessarily have to be coming from something bad and evil and some sort of, you know, lurking doom. So I, I think we want to start by by acknowledging that, that um people natively have different appetites for different things and it varies person to person, and that's that's actually okay. We need to go somewhere with that, but that in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. One thing that we brought up in episode five forty two that we want to repeat here is maybe to mention one forty two. Absolutely, it could be either or both. Is that a change in uh, sex drive, a change in level of sexual desire, can be linked to certain medical conditions, and yep. it's certainly a good idea for your partner to uh, talk to their doctor, to talk to their GP, to talk openly and clearly about what's going on with them. That's that's worth doing. There's no reason not to do that. Um, it's also worth asking if you guys are talking openly with each other about what's going on and where it's coming from. And, and if you're able to do that in a way that is safe, right, where we're not accusing each other of things, we're not demonizing each other, we're not making each other into enemies, we're saying, where are we at and how's it going? And this, this is a safe place. You've probably heard it said before, it's, it's a cliche for a reason. The foundation of good sex is good communication. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you want to have a good sex life and we want that for you, and I imagine you both want that for each other, that's going to begin with good communication. That's going to begin with learning to talk about the stuff and to do so openly. I want to give you two more thoughts of, of things to look at. I don't know if these apply to your situation or not, but I, 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 I think it's possible. and I want to encourage you to think about it. Um, you you mentioned that you both waited for marriage. That says to me that you grew up in very conservative evangelical circles. And I wonder if part of what you're dealing with is that your whole life, people have been making sex into this big thing. It is this area of life that is untouchable and unknowable. It is set apart. It is, it is a big dang deal. And I wonder if there is a certain amount of unavoidable letdown of getting to a point where now you you feel a sense of freedom to have sex with each other in your eyes. It's just sex like it's good, but like it's it's it, it sex, you know, so, sometimes it's really, really good. Sometimes it's OK, but it's it's sex. Let me give you an example. It's that's not sex that might help to set the stage. I'm going to give a, 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 a content and trigger warning. We're about to talk about alcohol. If that's something that makes you uncomfortable, you can skip ahead a minute or so. I want you, I grew up in an environment where it was, it was demon alcohol. So like no one drank, no one would drink. It was super, super bad. I want you to think about if you'd never had a beer before and you'd been told this is the worst thing in the world and blah, 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 blah. And then one day you have a Budweiser. Let's do a thought experiment together. And I think what you would say if you had one Budweiser is that was fine. i I don't, I don't feel a desire to burn my house down or get into a fight with someone or empty my life savings or whatever, whatever I was warned about would happen. I don't, I don't really feel any of those desires. Um, this, this isn't this entrancing liquid where I, I need a hundred more of them. It, it was fine. It, it wasn't a particularly big deal one way or another. I I can see why people like it. I, I think for most folks, if you, if you had a beer for the first time, you'd probably think something along those lines and it's not really fair to a person who's never had a beer to make it into this big thing because then when they have one, it's like, well, what, what was that? I think there can be kind of a similar thing with sex where, man, sexual activity is just a part of the human experience and it's a part of expressing love in the context of, of relationships. But when you make it this huge forbidden thing, you can attach so much weight to it that when you, when you get to the moment where now you feel like it's okay – it feels anticlimactic. I wonder if that's part of what you're dealing with. And that's certainly something for you and your partner to talk about. The other thing that's really worth looking at and it's connected is, do you know what sets the stage for your partner? Right. Do you know what, what helps them get in touch with their sexual appetite? Cause here's why that matters. The nature of desire that you have when you are ravenous is different from the nature of desire that you have when your needs are met. Right. Right. You said that you guys waited for marriage. That means that both of you had unmet sexual desires that were just compounding and compounding and compounding. And now you feel the freedom to have as much sex as you want whenever you want. That is going to change the way that you feel about sex and the appetite that you have for it. in the same way that like, if you've been fasting for a week, that first meal is going to be different from a meal three days after you stopped fasting, right? The level of anticipation, the level of voraciousness, the level of desire, it is going to change because I'm, I'm not coming from a place of a deficit anymore. These are things I'd encourage you to talk with your partner about. Maybe they apply, maybe they don't. Here's the key thing. You guys can figure this out. Sex yeah. does not need to be the boogeyman. The, what you're dealing with right now is not the end of your relationship. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't need to be this big <clears throat> scary thing. It is something that you can figure out if you face it and talk about it together.
0: Absolutely right. I think that's such a fantastic place to start that off. Jed covered a ton of great stuff there. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there on uh, one detail he was mentioning, which I think is a really, really important one, which is that our question asker mentions, we waited for marriage. And I think, as Mm -hmm. as Jed points out, that can indicate a number of things about um, the way you probably or might view uh, sex in a marriage relationship. And one of them, and this is a weird thing that um is actually popping up again in kind of evangelical spaces is this idea that um to have not had premarital sex means to have a uh wild and easy and effortlessly yeah. fulfilling sex life when you're married. Um both because that's just some kind of divine reward for not doing a naughty thing and also because that's how you you know that uh, the way Christians do things is better than the way other people do things because they're unhappy, but you are happy because you did it the Christian way.
2: And then as right. Jeff points
0: out, you you encounter uh, a modicum of reality. Uh, a few months in, you're also adjusting to maybe living with another person for the first time and <laughs> yeah. fighting and maybe we honeymoon was fun, but now we got to go back to work and all sorts of stuff. And how do we deal with just adjusting to a reality that might be different than messages we've been given about this
2: yeah it's a really good setup man because as you're saying combining the complicated nature of figuring out how to make uh sex work with different people's first of all with two different people who have two different who are into different things who have different um who have different expectations and and different operate in different realities To combine the difficulty level of of figuring that out and all the communications with all the vulnerability that is involved in sex, just literally just, just nakedness and all of that stuff, to combine that with now I am also getting used to living with another person who is vastly different from me, this is just a... We're talking about a high level of difficulty of... Just communication, understanding, expectation, all that stuff. But there is this weird thing that came out of purity culture, especially in the '90s, and um, I guess Matt's saying it's it's coming back around. This idea that like, if we waited, if we did it, quote unquote, God's way or whatever, then God owes us. Actually, Matt and I have a mutual friend who literally said this thing when he was about to get married to to me and another one of my uh, one of our friends who was already married for a while and and we were trying to talk to him about, hey, have you had some of these conversations about, you know, what you guys are into and what your expectations are, and and have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And he was like, no, we haven't had any of those conversations. God owes us because we waited. So it's just going to be awesome. And my friend and I were like, uh, yeah, no, that's not the way that works <laughs> at all. It's not just going to be awesome. This is going to be a complicated thing that the two of you have to figure out together and you have to have a lot of conversations and some of them might be uncomfortable and some of them might be difficult but you have to have those conversations they're going to be about uh vulnerable difficult things where you've got some you might have some bashfulness and you might have some history and you might have just there's all kinds of layers of things that you guys are going to have to work through and talk about but uh especially if you're coming from that place of evangelical culture of like we waited therefore god just owes us you know this easy downhill, sex is just going to be amazing because we did it God's way, quote unquote, or whatever. That's not the way anything works. Um, Part of what is actually beautiful about God's design of a monogamous relationship of two people throughout the rest of their life is that you have a long time to learn each other and to be honest with each other and to figure each other out and to, to figure out what makes the other person tick and to figure out how you're going to spoil that other person just by taking care of them and and listening to them and caring about them and and learning just what makes them happy learning how to please them all of those things that are involved in sex and and by the way there's all kinds of other things to talk about and to think about and to deal with it's not just a thing where it's you know spiritually speaking according to the church we did it the right way therefore everything we just we clicked we ticked all the boxes therefore this is just going to be awesome that's not the way anything works, especially, especially a sexual relationship. There's all these like, like if I was, if I was giving you like, uh, if, if you were in a, a marriage counseling situation with me, one of the things that we would be talking about is I, we would talk, we would talk about some of the things that Jed mentioned, which is like, what are some like physical medicinal issues that may be at play here? Those are important things to talk about. What things are new in your life? Like, have you had any children lately? Have you had a job change where your um, schedule has changed, where you see each other at different times of day than you used to? Um, what What kinds of things are involved in the kind of work that you do? Are you involved in a kind of work situation where you're around a lot of people, you know, most of your shift, and then you come home and you're ready to be alone for a while? Is that something that like all kinds of things can come to play into the issues of that, that you know, that, that play in the, the arena of kind of, you know, your sexuality, your arousal, what you're into, what, what you're over, what you can't deal with, what you can't think about all, all that kind of stuff. If, if I were doing marriage counseling with you guys, I would ask a lot of questions in a variety of different places in your life. Are you guys particularly, you know, are you used to trying to get together at, at the end of the day? Or have you thought about changing your schedule to try to get together at the beginning of your day? Have you thought about just little things like that? When can we change the schedule of when we're talking? And And, and you're like, man, schedule, that doesn't sound very romantic. Trust me, all of these things are at play. All of these things. So we're talking medicinal issues. We're talking work-related issues. We're talking, do you have children? Do you have anybody that hangs around your house a lot like in-laws or uh you know siblings um in, you know friends all all these kinds of things i would be taking an inventory over all of the things that are distracting or holding you back or what's getting in the way and then we would just start looking at how do we want to address those issues the idea that that for christians you just do things god's way and you you know if you're pure then You're just going to have this great sex life without talking about it or dealing with any of these real-life issues. It's complete madness. It's totally absurd. Everybody, everybody has to go through the difficult but what can be a very sweet process of learning another human being who is not me. That's what we're dealing with. I'm learning another human being who is not me we have different issues we have different health issues we have different medicinal issues we have different schedule issues we have different work related issues personality issues all of those things what we want to find is the sweet spot of what it means to take care of each other to meet the other person where they are to maximize our uh our, you know the output of like what it means to you know to create arousal to satisfy that all that stuff so that sex can be a fun and sweet way that we take care of each other and that we build up our friendship and our love relationship together these these on the surface can appear to be kind of scary issues but I'm telling you it's exactly what Jed said the more that you dive into those vulnerable issues the more that you can that you can talk about those things with honesty and and, and that vulnerability the more you're going to have success in this area and the more you're going to realize we're just two people who have a lot of issues, who are trying to learn each other and take care of each other. And the more we can approach it with that level of care, the more you're going to have, uh, you know, just friendship, pleasure, all of the stuff that you're looking for.
0: That's great stuff from both of these guys. One quick thing I attack on the end there is, um, and I don't mean this in any way uh, dismissively or to talk uh, down to you, so don't hear it that way, but it's just a statement of fact. You write in, we've been married for three months. You've not been married very long.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and I say that because, um, as as Lee mentions, learning another person, uh, part of that is and learning about yourself in this type of relationship, is a very long process. You you've not been married for an entire year. You don't know how seasonality affects this right. and other parts of your of your marriage. Let's say your your partner is uh, is an accountant or a teacher or uh, something that has a strong seasonality to their workload you may have only now been married for a week when they're in their busy season. That's going to be way different. I think the issue people have when they're early marriage is how much am I freaking out about the reality, not comparing to what I thought it would be when I had never done this, which is when you will know the least about marriage is when you've been married for zero days. So you're already better at being married than you were. So you can, you can uh, take some respite in that. Hopefully. And on that, we're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, I have different political views than my parents. I know that they know that it's whatever. The part that drives me crazy is not them disagreeing with me or thinking I'm wrong. It's when they imply or flat out say that I only believe what I do because I was brainwashed or that quote, I'll figure it out when I'm older. Unquote. I don't know why, but that really bothers me and I don't know how to say anything or if I even should help. And, um, a really good question. I think this it's a really interesting analysis of kind of one aspect of a, a larger and what can be more complicated and emotional thing that we, we know a lot of people deal with, but I really like isolating this issue down to it. And Jed, where would we start off with this?
1: Appreciate the question. In terms of what drives you crazy, I I think it drives you crazy because it's very dismissive. Um, Mm -hmm. You're, you have people who are, dismissing your thoughts and dismissing your concerns and dismissing your questions. And I think feeling dismissed is one of the great equalizers in humanity where I don't think anyone likes that. I, I don't think there's anyone worldwide who who likes feeling dismissed, who likes feeling like they've had a, a dismissive conversation um, because it it's another human being discounting um, your perspective and, and saying that either your perspective doesn't matter or it doesn't matter as much as other perspectives. And that's a crappy way to feel. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. I think that's the thing that drives you crazy, but I, but I think what's interesting is if we could almost as a thought experiment, set aside the dismissive element, which is a lot to ask because man, that's super annoying and super uncool. And it would definitely piss me off. I think your parents are saying, our life experiences have led to our beliefs. And if you had the same life experiences as us, you'd have the same beliefs that we do. And what's fascinating about that is that's probably true, Hmm. right? I mean, uh, in terms of nature versus nurture, like your environment and your experiences matter a whole lot. So um, the idea that if you'd been through what we've been through, you'd probably think what we think that, That's probably true. The interesting thing is that that cuts both ways because you could actually make the same argument back to your parents, which is if you had seen the world the way that I've seen the world, if you'd done the things I've done, been the places I've been, you would be much more likely to agree with me on how things work, which is, again, almost certainly true that that's probably accurate. I think. The thing that all of that may miss, and and I think that this is one of those things where so many people get this wrong, and the church massively gets this wrong, is none of this speaks at all to the accuracy or efficacy of these beliefs. I want to repeat that because I want you to think about it. The dismissiveness in the sense of, well, you don't, you don't get what I've been through, and if you did, you'd, you'd think the same thing I do. None of this speaks to, none of this touches on the fact that not all beliefs are equally accurate and equally effective. Not all beliefs match the realities of the world equally well. What I think your parents are campaigning for, they're doing it in a dismissive way, which is really uncool, but I think what they are campaigning for is we come by our beliefs honestly. We get that you disagree with our beliefs, but we come by our beliefs honestly. There's a reason why we think the way we think, and there's a reason why we believe the way that we believe, which is true. And when we disagree with people, it can be very important to acknowledge, I get that there is a reason you think what you think. I get that there is a reason that you believe what you believe. I'm, I'm not, you, we don't want to fight dismissiveness with more dismissiveness. Right. The issue that we so often miss is because this is not sports, because this is not a matter of pick your team. And is it BAM or is it Auburn? Because this is people's lives hanging in the balance. We need to know which of these things is actually true, which of these things actually corresponds to reality. So let's pick an issue um, that is somehow being debated again, which is the idea of child labor laws. This has been studied. Child labor laws save lives. Child labor laws objectively and measurably make the world a better place. Child labor laws are good, not because I like them and not because I was indoctrinated to think that they're good. They are good because they measurably, observably, reliably produce outcomes that are better for the society that we live in. It doesn't actually matter that Sean Hannity hates them. It doesn't actually matter that Janine Garofalo likes them. What matters is that we can do the math and run the numbers and run the experiment and see that they make the world a better place. That's why we should be in favor of child labor laws. It's the exact same thing of why should we have speed limits? This guy says speed limits are bad. This guy says speed limits are good. Both of them, no doubt, arrive by their view, honestly, speed limits save lives it's been studied. Speed limits keep the world safer. Speed limits make our towns and cities and suburbs better. We do them because they work. And I think that that is something that I don't know if there's a way to talk to your parents about it or not, but I think it is when you feel dismissed, it can be really easy to feel like you are without an anchor you're 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 it's hard to to find your way because you know maybe maybe i i i am wrong the anchor that we want to land on is objective measurable reality people can be sincere but sincerely wrong and i think that's one of the things that your parents are putting on you since you can't question my sincerity don't don't question their sincerity question outcomes Question the fact that a lack of child labor laws leads to dead kids. Question the fact that a lack of speed limits leads to damaged cars and ruined lives and deaths. Focus on things that are measurable outcomes. That's what we need as a society. That's what we need as a world. Whether or not your parents are open to it, if you're trying to navigate, focus on what works.
0: Absolutely right. Now, I think we must point out that Jed is missing the wisest path of all. Which is to say, well, these people want child labor laws and these people want no child labor laws. uh, So the wise path is uh, half child labor laws. (laughs) Because it's in the middle and therefore the wisest thing anyone can do. I think that's such a fantastic place to start that off. That's all great stuff. And I think Jed makes a very, very important point, which is um, this is not necessarily going to, you're not going to necessarily succeed and you probably won't succeed if we're being honest in the short term in bringing your parents around to your way of thinking. But it is important to think through these issues to in order to not have your confidence and your belief in what you believe chipped away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if your parents don't care, and I'm sorry if they don't, but I've, you know, if they don't care about child labor laws, it is good for you to think through that and to come up with concrete things and read a study and look at, you know, Department of Labor Statistics and all that so that you know, no, this is, I was not brainwashed. I did not a big child labor advocates didn't get to me and blind mine eyes. It is, this is a thing. And I believe it because it lines up with my values and it lines up with my reality. Totally fine. Totally cool. And Lee on on that sense, (coughs) I think Jed exactly gets the heart of this, of this is someone in this case, your parents, which super sucks, uh, trying to chip away at your confidence in yourself. Um, yeah. And, they may not see it that way because they may see these beliefs as separate from you, but you ride with these beliefs, you have them, you uh, define yourself by your worldview in the same way that we all do. So what do we do with that aspect of things? How do we kind of do some self-protection, some, self, uh, some self-reassurance here?
2: Yeah, I mean, everything that Jed said, I completely agree with, and it's really, really important for you to know why you believe what you believe, and not just that you're on a side, but that you actually know why. Um, and that's, and that's really critical stuff. It's really good stuff. I know that for, you know, for the folks that I'm going to be around this Thanksgiving or this Christmas or something like that, if, if I were to have all of the facts and to get into a factual debate about the outcomes and all of those things, again, I completely agree with where Jed's going. It would do no good. Yep. It would absolutely do no good. And that's why there are certain situations and certain relationships where you need to do a cost benefit analysis, <clears throat> which is if I enter into uh the conflict of this conversation, what is the probable outcome for me, and is it worth it? That's a really good analysis for you to run that's a that's another set of numbers that you want to deal with is um especially if especially if the people that that have these- dim- dismissive and disrespectful attitudes towards you. Are not your people, but if they 're your spouse 's people, um, you need to actually not only do that cost benefit analysis for yourself, but you need to check in with your with your mate about that. Um, how do you feel about me clapping back on 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 this conversation? Oh, that would ruin your thanksgiving then i 'm just going to take it i 'm just going to deal with it we 're going to get through this forty five minute dinner that we 're with these people, and then we 're going to leave um, there is a there it's an important thing that Matt brought up, which is that there is a sense in which your sense of your self confidence is being eroded here. And there are times in certain relationships and certain situations where you have to realize that, you know, Uncle So and so saying that the only reason you feel that way is because you went to liberal whatever, whatever university. And so you're just a part of the sheeple, that you just get to roll your eyes at Uncle Daryl and just say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not worth it. I'm not going to get into that fight. I'm going to take another roll and another uh another, you know, uh serving of stuffing. We're going to say our goodbyes and we're going to uh make our peace and, and go on. I, I say that to tell you, you don't have to get into the fight. And the reason is because you don't have to care what these people think about you. Yep you just don't, it doesn't have to change your day in any way um and, and this is just a practical piece of advice I don't know how many people have thought of this, but we thought of it. <laughs> Christy and I thought about this uh many years ago, and it has served us well, which is we have created a, a tradition on Thanksgiving, which is our family goes to the movie theater uh pretty quickly after the uh Thanksgiving meal. We enjoy the meal we we handle as, as much of the, uh, you know, being the togetherness as we can deal with. And then we say, oh, look at that. It's We have movie tickets that we've already paid for that are coming up real soon. Love seeing you all. We're going to take a picture. Great. Cool. We'll see you guys soon. And there's just a weird thing about particularly American society. When you've already bought movie tickets, everybody respects that. Oh, you got to make the movie. Oh, of course. You are you already bought the tickets. It was really great to see you guys. Hope you make it on time. Are y'all going to make it on time? Let me let me help you find your coat. Oh, uh, here's your purse. All right. Well, you guys ha- have a great time at the movies. We'll see you next year. It's um, the
0: versus Wakanda. We got to find out what happens.
2: That's exactly right. Everybody, everybody, everybody in America respects your date book. So, um, look, all, all I'm saying is, whatever somebody thinks about your education and your upbringing and your whatever, whatever. Um, I, I completely agree with Jed. Do the cost benefit analysis. Is this conversation, is this fight worth it? It might not be, and you don't have to worry about what that person thinks about you.
0: It's absolutely right. I'm I'm gonna um not speak for the side of your parents at all because um if you listen to this show, I have a feeling I know uh, where you stand on some things, where your parents stand on some things, and I definitely imagine I'm gonna stand way closer to your side of it. But if we can try to think through why your parents or have, have this particular belief, you know, we're talking about thinking through your beliefs. Um, it's probably a couple of things. I think if I'm going to do some broad generalization here, one of them is if they grew up in kind of white evangelical culture um, in the seventies, eighties, nineties, even in the two thousands, um, part of what they were sold by that larger machinery and things like focus on the family and all that was that, the mark of successful parenting will be creating an adult who believes everything they believe. Yeah. That is, that is what it means. It's not creating people who can think for themselves. It's not creating people who are happy or uh, healthy or, um, any of that. It is creating an adult person who apes everything you believe. That is, that is the mark of doing parenting. And so, there's an emotional response because you believing a thing they don't believe is not only just a disagreement in a way it is reflecting to them that they have failed at parenting. Yep. <laughs> and they, again, I'm drawing some straws and points for experience here, but they probably did fail at parenting, but not for the reason they think <laughs> the other part of this, and this is a little more kind of mm, broadly historiographical is a lot of people. I'm assuming if your parents are in their somewhere in their fifties to seventies there is a lot of people in that age range, kind of the baby boomer generation who, when they were young were broadly cared about things like social justice and anti-war, anti-war movements and uh, you know, in standing up against racism, a lot of things like that, late sixties, early seventies And then kind of a thing called the Reagan revolution happened. And a lot of those people shifted to really mostly caring about their house in the suburbs. How much it was worth, how nice it was, uh, who couldn't live near it. it. But part of the narrative around that, that those people told themselves so that they didn't feel like they were just selling out on things they used to believe or choosing a much more selfish, callous way to live life was that it is natural to become more conservative as you get older. That is smart. They made up a quote that no one can actually source to Winston Churchill, that then the the age changes, but it is broadly the idea that if you're not a liberal when you're 18, you have no heart, but if you're not a conservative when you're forty, you have no brain. And again, Winston Churchill never said that. There's nobody knows who came up with that. But Even if that was broadly speaking true for a small number of white Americans living in the post-World War II economy, it is not a universal truth that is just applied that to gain knowledge and gain years makes you more conservative. But again, if it happened to them, they kind of have to believe that it was right. So all that to say, um... Again, when you're doing that cost benefit analysis that Lee's talking about, there is a conversation and an argument and a conflict here that goes beneath. Did, do billionaires really work harder than everyone else? Or are they benefiting from an insane system? So we're not here to tell you, no, have the argument, don't have the argument. But there's maybe a lot going on in the surface that you're not necessarily thinking about that, uh, informs whether or not the, to take it head on or, or roll kind of roll with the punches these guys are pointing out. But either way, we wish you good luck. And either way, we move on to our third question here, which comes in and says, I was reading the part of the Gospels with John the Baptist recently. I really don't know what I'm supposed to take from it. I get that he prepared the way for Jesus and he was important, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do with any of this. And then another cool question and kind of getting into the the Advent season here often does start with John the Baptist in a way that I think is very disconnected from uh, the rest of it in in some uh, fun ways. So, uh, Jed, where do we start off here?
1: Man, it's a great question, and I'm going to suggest. Hey, I, I really love the question. I appreciate the question. I'm going to suggest to you that for a lot of us who grew up in kind of evangelical circles, there is a. It can be easy to miss the forest for the trees with the Bible. Mm and the reason that i say that is that um we most preaching that you hear in most churches and this will be true certainly for the last 20 to 30 years is they want to go one they want to take one verse and they want to go one word at a time and they want to give you this this hyper detailed analysis of what all these words mean because they they really super duper want you to know uh the bible which is not a bad aim but the interesting thing is that kind of hyper detail focus can make it really easy to miss the bigger narratives that are going mm. on the the bigger the bigger storylines and so i think that um it, with your question, if we can pull the camera back a little bit away from the 45-minute Bible lecture on Sunday morning and just talk about the the people involved, I think that there's a ton of stuff that we can learn and that we can take away. And some of it, uh, weirdly, is like torn from today's headlines. So I'm going to read you—we're um, going to be reading very briefly together. We're going to be in um, uh, Mark—should be chapter 6— um, yeah, so let's see here, we're going to start, we're chapter six, starting with verse 17, um, and I'll try and give a little context as we go. Herod, who was a big, rich, important dude, had given orders to have John the Baptist arrested and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, um, his uh, brother's wife, whom he had married. So there's some, there's some wild stuff going on here. Uh, Because John the Baptist had been saying to Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, which is true. And so his brother's wife nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she wasn't able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Uh, When uh, Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he still liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a big banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of that area. When his wife's daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? Uh, the head of John the Baptist, she answered. At Once the girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me the head right now, John the Baptist, on a platter. And I bet you know the rest of the story from there, John was executed. All right, Let's back up for a second, and we're not just going to read from the Bible. We're going to talk about what happened. There was this rich dude that did a lot of really uncool stuff. He was sleeping with people he shouldn't be sleeping with. He wasn't living in a particularly good way. Uh, but he he knew that John was kind of this holy and and righteous dude, and he was kind of intrigued by him. And then the rich dude threw a big party, and he wanted to mm-hmm. impress people. He wanted to be, you know, the big guy. And— uh, there's a dancing girl and wow, can't she dance? Isn't it amazing? And he's trying to impress his friends. We've all been there when someone's like, Oh, it's was wonderful. It was amazing. Like, yeah, you deserve anything you want, anything at all. This is a hollow boast. You're not supposed to take somebody up on that. Like if you're in LA and someone's like, they should make a movie about your life. They don't, they don't actually mean they should make a movie about your life. It's, it's just a nice thing to say. Right? So Like the, ah, that was amazing dancing. I'll give you anything you want. You're not supposed to take that seriously. And then he gets embarrassed in front of his fellow rich people friends, and now he has to make good on it. So he's going to betray himself. He's going to betray this righteous dude. He's going to have him killed. It's a whole thing. So here's what we wind up with is the world lost an amazing person because one rich idiot couldn't keep his mouth shut and then couldn't back down when he got called on it. Yep. That's how John the Baptist died. I'm going to repeat that just in case. The world lost an amazing person, one of the most amazing people who's ever lived, because one guy, one idiot, one rich idiot couldn't keep his mouth shut. That was the thing. He couldn't keep his mouth shut, and then when he got called on the dumb thing he shouldn't have said, he refused to back down. Mm. I'll pause while you contemplate if that reminds you of... Any current events? Any at all?
0: Maybe scroll your social media, open up the Twitter while you think about it. This reminds me <laughs> of any current events.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um I'm gonna turn to the higher wisdom of Top Gun um to summarize one possible takeaway from this, which is your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. Yeah. That's that's what we're dealing with here. So In this moment, there's a lot that we can take away from the story of John the Baptist, but there's a ton of stuff that has a ton to do with our lives. And one of the takeaways is check your ego, man. When you find that you have a little bit of money, check your ego. When you find that you have a little bit of influence, check your ego. When you find that you've got friends that want to come and be entertained at your place, check your ego. Your ego will lead you to betray everything. Everything about yourself, your ego will lead you to do things that you know are wrong because you got to feed and you got to satisfy your ego. We've said yeah. it before on this podcast, and it, and it bears repeating, humility is a superpower. Humility will make everything about your life better. And if you don't believe me, think for a moment, because we've all said dumb stuff before, but think what would have happened if Herod had had the unbelievable humility. to say, "Ah, oh, is up to half my kingdom. And the girl says, I want you. I want the head on the platter. If Herod just said, you know what? I was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. But you're a great dancer and we so appreciate you dancing for us. Think how that literally would have saved a man's life. Humility could have saved a person's life and humility can save your life, too. And that is a heck of a takeaway from that story.
0: Indeed, it is an awesome, awesome takeaway there. And Lee, what do we uh, close out with here about the John the Baptist story?
2: I love all that. That was fantastic. I would just point out just a couple of things about John the Baptist for for our consideration and just what what am I supposed to get out of the, the story of this guy? One is there. there's literally a place about John the Baptist where Jesus said, because Jed just told us, one of the greatest per- people that ever lived, Jesus said that about him. Yeah. Jesus literally said in Matthew chapter 11, I believe, of anybody that's ever been born, nobody has been greater than John the Baptist. This is the greatest guy ever. That's what, those are the words of Jesus. I did not make that up. And, one of the, and so you're like, what was so great about him? One of the things that was so cool about John the Baptist is he was not afraid to call people on their injustice. He just stood up to people about their injustice you know, people that they realized that this guy was, he he was incredible. He was different. He was fearless. He was brave. And they, and, and they realized that he was like, literally, I mean, they were like, man, you, you're different than everybody else in our society. We want to, to get a hold of some of the, the amazingness and connection to God that you have. What do we do? And he said, you treat poor people differently. That's what you do. You take care of poor people. Soldiers, um, don't, don't uh ask people to give you more than the, than the than your wages. Um people that are in power don't take advantage of people. I mean, he just called people, hey leadership, treat people with respect. Treat people honestly. Um like don't be greedy. I mean, he just like just a huge advocate for justice and social change. And Jesus said, that's the greatest dude that ever lived. The other thing that I, that I love about John the Baptist is just a just real quick, just a, a sermon that he gave one time when, and, and who knows, he, he may have given it a lot of times. A lot of preachers have, you know, their, their greatest hits that they give in a lot of times in different places. He said, you know, I'm a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He said, knock down the, 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 the hills and fill up the valleys. Make the crooked ways straight and make the way of the Lord to come into your life an easy path um that's been a, an important thing for me in my life um just to realize that there are things that in my life that um they block the way of of the message of Jesus and the person of Jesus coming into my heart and into my life because i've made too big of a deal out of it or i you know i've gotten this thing i've gotten too high on this thing i've gotten too low on i need to i need to make sure that in my and this particular for me just because i'm an emotional guy like, I need to get myself make sure that I am clearing the path and making sure that like certain things that are a distraction for me, certain things that have gotten too big, certain things that have gotten too low, that I make a level, clear path for the message and the words of Jesus to come into my life. Those have been important words for me they've been an important kind of self evaluation of like what are the what is the impact of the things in my life and how do they and how do they impact just the message of Jesus coming into my world again this is a guy that fought bravely and fearlessly for social justice for change for fair treatment of people fair wages all that kind of stuff and he's a person who said hey like look at yourself evaluate yourself can the message of Jesus and the and just the life of Jesus can he clearly and easily come into your life or are there things that are in the way that you haven't evaluated those have both been huge impacts of just kind of the words in the life of John the Baptist from myself.
0: I think that's beautifully put by both of these guys. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Tell out this song this week as we are officially beginning our pre-Christmas season. That means Christmas outro music. This is Woolhouse Guru's version of Angels We Have Heard on High. Got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
3: Just we have heard on high our-